Okay. Good morning, everyone. Y'all ready for the last day of class, fall quarter? <laughs> I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, going through Esther with, with you all. Thank you for sticking around <laughs> with me. Uh, um, I mean, I, I love I love the Old Testament. I'm I'm very partial to it, and uh, uh, things that fasc, uh, fascinate me, especially in the Old Testament, uh, are certain books that we often overlook. Now, Esther isn't, you know, I mean, it's a popular story. We know about it, but I feel like a lot of times, you know, we we uh, think back to like VBS stories, and we don't necessarily really look into the text and really dive into it because we think we're so familiar with them. And I feel like Esther is one of those uh, books that, that kind of fall prey to that. And uh, so I've, I've very much enjoyed going through Esther and really diving deeply into its narrative. Now, obviously, we um, have gone through all the chapters. We read chapter 10. Last week, woohoo! Right, we're we're finally done with reading it. We're not going to read Esther uh, today, uh, if I mean not much, if at all. Uh, but we're just going to kind of talk about, uh, do a little uh, summarization of Esther, its lessons, and um, and kind of tie it to the New Testament. I've mentioned this last week, but something I, I really like doing and I feel like is very important as we look at especially Old Testament uh, texts is that, uh, well, first, you need to, we need to realize that Old Testament is kind of is the foundation. Right? Uh, a lot of people look over the Old Testament. They think, oh, you know, laws and prophets, none of this apply to us. We're in the New Testament now, right? So it doesn't really apply to us. We're not bound by it uh, or bound to it. While that is partially true, uh, a lot of the concepts, if not all of the concepts that we find in the New Testament, they're not really new, right? You can find them connected in the Old Testament. You know, writers like Paul, uh, teachers like Jesus, they all taught from their scripture, which what the, when they're referring to scripture, what, what are they referring to? Is the Old Testament, right? So it's important to first recognize that the Old Testament is important, but also when we are uh, examining the Old Testament, it's, it's very important for us to connect it to the New Testament because it is true. All right? We are not bound to a lot of the things that the Old Testament talks about. A prime example of that being uh, Mosaic law, Levitical laws, right? Uh, nevertheless, those principles carry over, um, and they serve as lessons for us in our current New Testament Christianity. So uh, I think it's important for us, especially when we're talking about books like Esther, right? Trying to see how can we see the gospel in a book like Esther, and this question is all the more fascinating because as we have talked about all quarter long, talking, uh, looking over Esther, that Esther is a quote-unquote godless book. It does not mention the name of God at all. No one in the book, not even the protagonists uh, like Mordecai and Esther, who are uh, painfully obviously Jewish. right? They're of that religion, religious identity. They don't name God 
uh, one time in the book. So how do we find the gospel in a book like that? And I think that's a very fascinating question that uh, we can close out the quarter with uh, today. So uh, a mistake that um, that a lot of people make with reading uh, a book like Esther is because Esther is such a narrative book, and we, we've looked at the structure, and we looked at, I, I've, you know, I've, I'm like a, a broken record, I feel like, uh, standing up here uh, this past quarter talking about Esther's narrative. I say that a lot, and it is because Esther is written in a narrative format. So it's very easy for us to read a book like Esther um, that is written you know, in a story-like format, uh, structure, uh, and kind of just glance over it and think, oh, the lesson here is you got to stand up for what's right, you got to make the right choices, you got to live for God, and that's it, right? Now, while that is very much true, right, that is something that we can learn from Esther, and that is indeed a good lesson, uh, I think we can dig a, deep, a little bit deeper in terms of the significance Esther has to us. And uh, today, you know, in this class, you're going to hear things that we've already, you know, mentioned throughout the quarter. You'll hear some things that you might not have quite considered uh, in, in such an angle, um, but mostly it'll be uh, a hybrid of a review and also considering how this all connects to our New Testament Christianity and, and the gospel. So something that we need to remember is I, I mentioned earlier that uh, it's important for us to uh, connect the Old Testament to the New, right? Connect the lessons that we see, the principles that we see in the Old Testament, and to be able to apply it to ourselves in our New Testament uh, Christianity context. An easy way to put that, right, in simpler words is to say all of Old Testament, and in fact all of Scripture, New Testament is it's more obvious, but including the Old Testament, all of Scripture points to what? Who does it point to? Jesus, right? All of Scripture points to Jesus, and that is the, that's the starting point. That's the starting line that we need to understand and, and internalize before we look at books like Revelation or Esther or Amos or something like that, right? These books that are not, it, it may not be on a surface level when you glance over it, it may not be uh, initially very obvious that this is talking about um, or pointing towards uh, the future, pointing towards Jesus. Um, but nevertheless, it is important that we need to remember that. Uh, Revelation is a, a I just kind of spitballed it, but Revelation is a great example of how that is misused, right? You've heard of so many strange doctrines and, and theologies and, and theories about the interpretations of the symbolisms and all those you know, different things contained in Revelation. And you're, you're like, what, what's all this about? All those different interpre interpretations, those those false doctrines, they are derived from looking at Revelation uh, in in a lens that is not Jesus, in a lens that is not how does this 
fit into the story of God? And how does this fit into the story of how God, uh, what he promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first messianic prophecy of, you know, hey, sin has entered into the world, and I'm going to fix this, and the remedy will be ultimately Jesus, right? When you don't look at Scripture, which, by the way, again, Scripture, all Scripture points to Jesus. When you don't look at Scripture in that through that lens, it's easy for us to make mistakes. It's easy for us to come up with strange interpretations and doctrines. So that's why it's so important when we're looking at books like Esther, where it's not, you know, it's not like Esther in the text is explicitly saying, hey, this is about Jesus, by the way. You know, it's not saying that. So it's easy for us to kind of veer off the right path if we don't look at it through that lens. And that's ultimately what we want to talk about today. Um, so we have to be careful not to read things into the text, right? Uh, in, um, in biblical studies, we call that eisegesis. Right? Exegesis is what we want to do, is where we look at the text as it is and we glean from it what the author originally intended, what God originally intended in that text for us. Not, I want to, I want this to mean something that I want it to mean, so I'm going to read that meaning into, or the interpretation into that text. So that's not what we want to do. Um, but we still want to see Jesus in the gospel in a book like Esther. Relating to that, it is telling that uh, the context of Esther is very relevant to us, and this is one of those things that we talked about before in this class. Uh, we're talking about a group of people, or in the narrative of Esther, we're talking about a group of people who identify themselves in God, finding themselves in a culture that is contrary to their identity in God, right? Culture that is foreign, that they can't relate to, that they ought not to relate to or be a part of, right? Um, some culture that is outright contradictory to their beliefs and values. Not only that, there is moral ambiguity in the protagonist, and that's another thing that we can relate to, right? Not a single time do the Jews utter the name of God. Uh, we, we don't see them. Uh, the author does not uh, give us any revelation into uh, their religious practices, um, their, their practice of their Jewish identity outside of uh, we talked about how uh, Mordecai and the Jews, they lamented, they put sackcloth and ashes on their head, uh, and that kind of stuff indirectly points to God, but you don't see you know, Mordecai going to a place of worship and, and you know, offering up sacrifices. Right? You don't see that kind of uh, interaction with the law. Right? So there's moral ambiguity in its characters. Uh, and so we can also agree that as readers, this seems like a story about a bunch of flawed people living in a very broken and backward world. How does a people who have so obviously have forgotten God in their lives, in their identity, come out of a situation where there is nothing but certain death? Right? Does that sound familiar to us? I think it does. Yeah. Oh yes, and 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 that's you know that's right. And we we've, we've talked about that uh, throughout this class. And and while that's certainly true, 
on a large scale, the Jews, right, as a group, as a people, in the book of Esther, right, their identity is, is shifting, right? You can tell that they are in the context of the Persian Empire, right, the Persian culture, and, and, and they're finding it difficult to have that solid identity, and it's because largely they have forgotten about God, right? And I think that's another reason why the author chose not to use the name of God, right, in telling the story of Esther. Uh, just because Esther doesn't have, you know, God's name in it doesn't mean that Mordecai and Esther never spoke the, war, the name of God. I'm, I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure sometime in their lives they have uttered the name of God. But the author chose not to put it in there, in the book of Esther. Why? I think it's because the author, uh, this is my humble opinion, uh, I believe it's the author's intention to make that point. You're looking at a group of people who is kind of fading away in their memory of God, in who they serve, in who they ought to find their identity in, right? And they find themselves in this foreign culture of the empire of Persia, under a rule of a man who is completely godless, King Ahasuerus. Does that sound familiar to us? I think it does, right? So now, in talking about that, where where does Jesus fit into this, right? Where does the gospel fit into all of this? And I think, uh, and this, I think this is the bigger um, lesson if you will, that we can glean from Esther. More so than, you know, again, we looked at Esther and, and the, the behavior and the conduct of Mordecai and Esther, and we can easily say, hey, the main lesson of Esther is standing up for what's right and doing what God wants us to do, right? So in order for God to use us as instruments for his will. But even bigger than that, right? Even bigger than that, I believe, is, it, is our inherent need of rescue from an absolute death sentence. Right? Esther, and this is another thing that we've kind of talked about, we've hit on a little bit in, in, in the past. Esther and Mordecai, what they did was valiant. What they stood for was valiant. What Esther did in saying, if I perish, I perish. And going into the king's uh, chamber, brave, bold, courageous. And it's something that we ought, ought to learn from. However, none of those things that they did, nothing that they could have done, right, would have saved them from the works of Haman, from the, uh, the, the impending doom, the genocide that King Ahasuerus and Haman had put forth in their scheming together. What I mean by that is all of these things that happened that seem like irony. And we talked about how Esther is riddled with irony, reversals, and, and these seemingly impossible coincidences. What are those things? It's God working behind the scenes. It wasn't, see, the point of Esther is not to say that Esther was righteous, or Mordecai was righteous. They were. But that's not the point. 
What's the point? What's the author trying to say with how he wrote uh, or how he recorded what happened in the story of Esther and Mordecai and the Jews? If it wasn't Esther and if it wasn't Mordecai and their righteousness and their actions that saved the Jews, what was it? Who was it? God's in control. Ultimately, the point is it wasn't Esther. It wasn't Esther's bravery that saved the Jews. It played a role in it, right? But it wasn't her bravery that saved the Jews. It wasn't Mordecai's righteousness that saved the Jews. It played a role in it, right? Again, we talked about how the choices that he made, the choices that Esther made, put them in positions in certain places in their lives, circumstances that allowed them to be instruments in God's will. But ultimately, it was God's will. Right? And that's the point that Esther is trying to make, that the author of Esther is trying to make. And that's the problem with making Esther a morality story. And it's not necessarily wrong for us to do that. It's not wrong for us to say the lesson of Esther is we got to do right, we got to be righteous, and stand up for God. Those are things that we need to do. However, at the end of the day, on a foundational level, we have to realize that we are not in control. We are. No, go ahead. Yeah. 4.14. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that's the main kind of the theme uh, verse. Um, Dwight also mentioned this earlier uh, of this class. And that's the lesson that we have to get from Esther. It's not about us. right? Of course, it's important for us to be righteous. It's important for us to do what is right. It's important for us to stand up for what is right and to put ourselves in situations and circumstances and positions where we can be instruments of God, but we have to realize that we are nothing but instruments. Does a hammer walk around and start building sheds by himself? Does a saw start you know, sawing away at, at plywood and all that by itself? No, it doesn't. It doesn't move. It, do, it can't do anything without you, the person wielding it. And it only does what you, the person wielding it, wills it to do. That's the lesson that we get from Esther. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about what we do. It's not about all the power and money and, and uh, the, the fortunate circumstances of our lives that we have at our disposal, the resources. None of those things matter in the face of God's will. And that's where it connects to the New Testament. That's where it connects to the gospel. Because guess where else right? we can find that principle? Where no matter what we do, no matter what we can possibly achieve, we can't deserve something. It's our salvation, isn't it? No matter how much we work, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much righteousness we have, no matter how much 
time you go to church over your lives, no matter how many times you are present or you miss worship services, no matter how many people you baptize, no matter how many people you convert, guess what you can't do? No matter what. You can't buy salvation. You can't work yourself into heaven. It is an inherent, inherent need of all of us. The common denominator, no matter who you are, no matter how righteous or no matter how wretched you are, what your past is, what your future looks like, what your present is, none of that matters in the face of the fact that we have that inherent need of rescuing. And I feel like the circumstances that Esther and Mordecai and the Jews find themselves in, in the context of the narrative of Esther, facing this impending doom, genocide, their people is about to be wiped out because of uh, the whims of an evil man and the weak rule of a powerful tyrant. And these people, they can't even remember God enough to send up a prayer and utter his name. Or at least, that's what the author is making it out to seem like. In all of that, guess what God does? Amidst all of that, guess what he does? Does he abandon them? Does he toss them aside? What does he do? He saves them. He saves them. Using flawed people. Morally ambiguous, at least what we can read of. I mean, they're human, so we know that they're not perfect, at the least. Using flawed instruments and in circumstances that just seem completely impossible to overcome. You're talking about an entire... I mean, did you see what was written about the king in the first chapter of Ezra? All his pomp and circumstance, the power and wealth at his disposal, the resources, the militaristic power, and Haman, who was put in second in charge in that kind of government... How do you overcome that? You can't. That's the point. You can't. It doesn't matter if you're the queen. It doesn't matter if you're uh, uh, an upstanding governor or uh, official in that government. It doesn't matter who you are. You can't escape that without God. And I think that's where we connect Esther with the New Testament. Because throughout all of scripture, it becomes painfully clear that humans are in need of rescue in all circumstances. Right? Not from genocide or tyrannical rule. Right? We're not in, you know, uh, or at least I don't think so, we're not in such a dangerous uh, situation just yet, but of the spiritual nature. Rescue from not some government, not a military, not threats, physical, but rescue from ourselves. 
our own sins that bring about separation from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2. Right? We are often like the Jews in the story of Esther. In a godless culture living in uh, these societies, communities that don't know God, living under a godless rule. We ourselves, because of our own shortcomings and blemishes, having a short memory and often forgetting God ourselves. All of these confuse us and we forget where our true home is. For example, the Israelites uh, in dispersion, in exile, in Persia, and where our true identity lies. Example, the Jews in exile. Right? They blended in so much to their host culture that often, towards the end of it, they almost lost their identity in God. And the ironic thing is, uh, when the world sees that, they think it's foolishness, right? When the world sees that, they think that's, oh, that's terrible. Why would you want to live like that? And they don't, they don't, they don't see it, right? It's a common theme in Scripture where God works through the weakness of men. God works through the foolishness of men. And what men consider foolish, what men consider weak, what humans consider as disadvantages, guess what God does with those? God takes them, embraces them, and in fact, he turns it around. Ironically, all right, this is the biggest ironic reversal of all of our lives, is that God turns all those weaknesses, all those flaws, all those faults and uses it to further his glory, right? It demonstrates his power even stronger through the weakness of men. Isn't that what, uh, isn't that what Paul talked about concerning the thorn in his side? You know, we don't know what that was exactly, but he prayed for it to be removed, but God said no, right? Because through his weakness, his glory will shine brighter, and his power will be demonstrated even more. The lesson in Esther is certainly, yes, we ought to stand up for what's right. And we got to do what is good, no matter what the circumstances. Because if we don't, then, as Mordecai warned Esther, we're not going to find ourselves in a position to be a part, in, in the part of God's plan, God's will. We have to set ourselves up spiritually for us to become instruments of God. That is true. But let us never forget the ultimate lesson that underlies all of that is the fact that we need rescuing. It is not our call. It is not our deeds, righteousness. It's not our experience. It's not how long we lived or how short. It doesn't matter who you are. We need God. Let us never become like the Jews while they were dispersed in exile, where their memory became hazy and their identity fuzzy, where they began to forget who 
they had a covenant with. Let us never become like that in our own lives as we navigate this world, this culture, and this society today, individually and on a congregational level. Let us also be brave enough to stand up for what is right, as Esther did, to be righteous, to speak peace, and and, and to work for the good of our people, like Mordecai did, as we read in chapter 10, but also ultimately realize that we need God. That we can't do this alone. That we may try as hard as we can, but we are still in need of God's grace. And Jesus is the answer to that sin problem, that issue. May we never forget that, and may we never let that out of our sight. That's what I wanted to kind of end Esther with. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this class. I hope that you enjoyed looking through the book of Esther. Uh, I obviously, you know, I'm not an expert (laughs) or anything on on Hebrew uh, texts or books like Esther, but uh, it is a book that fascinates me, and um, I hope that you enjoyed the study through it. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, anything, um, talk to me. Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about it. But I hope that you'll read through it over and over again. Maybe you're kind of sick of it right now, but give it like a month or two and then read it, read it again. Um, you can always get new insights, new angles in the, in the Word of God. Um, there's plenty of wisdom to be gained from it. So that's our cue. Thank you very much.